Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to the Fabrication Friday podcast. I'm your host, Joe Fairley, certified prosthetist, 3D printing enthusiast, and owner of Ascent Fabrication. Fabrication Friday is an all-around fun time where I talk about 3D printing applications, conduct interviews with industry leaders, and much more. Come join us every Friday for an informational discussion around the evolution of the additive manufacturing field and how we utilize various digital workflows and 3D printing methods in our daily work at Ascent Fabrication. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fabrication Friday podcast. I'm your host, Joe Fairley. Thank you very much for joining us this week. I wanted to start right off with our print of the week this week. Our print of the week is the uh, Cooperstown Distillery logoed coasters. So these coasters were a pretty fun project for us. Um, we have our own logo coaster, actually, as well. Uh, we can take any logo uh, with the uh, actual image of the logo itself, recreate the logo in Fusion 360, and then put some thickness to it with some extrusions uh, to give it some depth. Um, we like to do some type of, uh, you know, different um, different coloring, different uh, actual, you know, depth of your logo to give it that, you know, just pop off the logo kind of look. Um, so we really wanted to kind of highlight the Cooperstown Distillery logo coasters as we just finished up this project for them. Uh, did about 40 logo coasters uh, over the span of about a week on the Artillery Sidewinder uh, X2 3D printer. So this was uh, with a 0.6 millimeter nozzle and printed in about uh, three hours and 42 minutes, uh, printing three at a time. Um, this is a TPU. Um, there's a black TPU and a gold TPU. Uh, we source different TPUs from all over the place. Uh, this, these just happen to be their colors that they were looking for. Um, and as you saw in the Ascent Fabrication logo coaster here as well, you know, we do two different colors, the blue and the yellow to help, you know, again, pop that image up off the coaster. Um, these are about two and a half millimeters for the Cooperstown distillery um, coasters and ours are about four millimeters, um, just to give it, again, some thickness, uh, depending on how thick or thin you'd want it, um, those can be easily designed. So uh, you can get into all sorts of marketing materials with 3D printing, um, it can get pretty interesting. You know, we're actually getting into printing some signage as well. So uh, tune in next week for a uh, print of the week on one of the new signs that we've printed. So this week we've had actually a, a, an opportunity to share with you um, a podcast that I was invited to speak on um, from Mr. Mike Boland. Mike Boland is a, um, a nonprofit founder and speaker and advocate for those with living with limb loss. Um, he himself is a congenital amputee of the right hand. Um, he is the host of the We're Not Stumped Amputee podcast. So he interviews amputees, friends and family members, and other people in the uh, amputee community who are supporting uh, those people. And he was very uh, kind enough to invite me on the podcast. So um, I hope that you enjoy our conversation today as he interviews me about how I got into the uh, prosthetics and orthotics field, um, and then how I turn the tables on him and uh, ask him a few questions for our Fabrication Friday podcast this week. 
So thank you very much. Hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Hello, welcome to the We're Not Stump podcast. I'm your host, Mike Boland, and I'm a congenital amputee of the right hand. In this show, I will interview other amputees and allow them to tell you their incredible life stories. I'll also feature family members of amputees and others who support the amputee community, all in an effort to discuss the challenges and triumphs of those living with limb loss. So stick around and listen to inspirational stories and find out why we say we're not stumped. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the We're Not Stumped podcast. I'm your host, Mike Bolin, and today we've got Joe Fairley on. Joe is the owner of Ascent Fabrication, and he is doing a lot with 3D printing and for prosthetics. So, Joe, thank you so much for being on the We're Not Stumped podcast. Very happy to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So we always start the We're Not Stumped podcast with your in, your, in your own words. So I'd love to hear the Joe Fairley story. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first and foremost, I'm the owner and founder of Ascent Fabrication. Uh, which is a generally a 3D printing company, but very specialized in the prosthetics and orthotics industry. Um, I'm a certified prosthetist and board eligible in orthotics uh, as well. And um, I started to get into the prosthetics and orthotics industry uh, back in 2015, 2016, when I started to see um, the rise of a actually a global volunteer community called Enable. Um, and Enable was focused around 3D printing, kind of hero-themed prosthetic hands for kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these, these you know, 3D printed prosthetic hero hands that were, um, you know, superhero-themed. And you saw these really cool news articles out there on them. I really thought that was pretty interesting and wanted to, you know, more about it. Um, I originally... Um, saw the first amputee that I ever came across when I was in high school, actually. Um, So I was a cross country and track runner in high school and in college um, and a little bit here past college. And um, in my sophomore year of of high school, we got to go out to the Olympic training center in Chula Vista, California. Uh, Our high school team was nationally recognized. Uh, We had a pretty solid team. So we had these great opportunities um, and while I was running around the track one day, finishing up a workout, um, you know, I started to hear this, this pitter patter come behind me. Um, and you know, I looked over my left shoulder, didn't see anything before I could look over my right shoulder. He's already sprinting by me on bilateral, um, below the knee running blades. And, um, you know, it's just so cool to see a, a Paralympian, um, in his element like that. And, you know, someone on, um, prosthetic devices. I thought that was the coolest thing and wanted to work with people like that. That's an interesting story. You know, I, I know that in the Olympics, the regular Olympics a few years ago, uh, Pastorius, if I'm saying it correctly, Oscar, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, right. yeah he made it to, to the Olympics. And I have some different thoughts on using prosthetics uh, in the regular Olympics. Do you have any thoughts on that? I'd be happy to share mine. But yeah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, some people uh, think there's like some kind of advantage over, you know, some other people that way. And uh, because the the carbon fiber blades are engineered to kind of act like springs, you know, they they store energy as they're compressed and release energy as they're um, as they expand. So, you know, I can see where there there's a lot of different ideas flying around there. But I think if anyone's able to compete at that level, you know, no matter what um, external hardware they're using, 
you know, obviously using some kind of internal, uh, you know, booster is definitely yeah. <laughs> off the, off the case, but, uh, yeah, if, if an amputee can get to that level of, you know, athletic ability, I'd, I'd love to see that. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I think about my own case and I think, well, what if I got in the octagon and put my hook on, I think I would have just so much of an advantage an unfair advantage. And that's why I think there's nothing wrong with the Paralympics for those yeah. types of things. I think if it's going to, there's no problem in my opinion of having a, a separate Olympics for people that have prosthetics. Cause again, if I got in a boxing ring or an octagon and go, Hey, I, I want to wear my prosthetic. Yeah, I could probably kill somebody. So I have a little different opinion. I, I it's just, again, just my opinion doesn't mean it's right or it's wrong, but, and, and yeah. this is coming from somebody that I was on the pro bowlers tour. So, you know, all the way up to as the highest you can go in my sport, but that's okay. just the way I feel. doesn't mean it's right or wrong. Yeah, no, very cool. I think you'd have to have a little bit more specialized of a prosthesis for, for boxing for that too anyways. So yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm Waving around you. a metal hook. Yeah. I don't think yeah. that'd be exactly <laughs> useful for that. I'm going to have to hit, hit you up on that because what you do is amazing. And you have one of the devices I see in the background there, 3d yeah. printing that has changed the industry. Hasn't it? It has already. Um, you know, and I say already because a lot of people talk about 3d printing as it's the future, but in my eyes, it's, it's already the past, you know, we've been printing now for over eight years in prosthetics and orthotics. Um, so I'm trying to help this adoption, uh, within the field and, most of that is just around um, people understanding what can we print, how do we print it, are these things that we print durable enough to go out for everyday use and for long-term use for people. Um, so I'm helping, you know, different clinicians around the country understand, you know, what's possible for us to print. Um, you know, is it is it relatively the same as what they're providing right now? Um, because, you know, we can go down the rabbit hole of insurance reimbursement, but, um, you know, they want to know dollars and cents. Is it comparable to what they're already providing for patients as well? So, yeah, we're, we're um, basically a central fabrication entity for the prosthetics and orthotics field. So we get 3D scan data um, from clinicians all over the country, in Canada, um, and a couple other countries as well where we're able to remotely take um, that clinician's preference of what device they would like to build around that 3D scan. Um, we do bid for, you know, what's actually going to be done with that device. Um, and then we'll set it up to print uh, either on a few of our printers that we have here. Um, otherwise, actually, we'll, we'll send some, in some cases, that design back to the clinician so they can print it in their own clinic. Um, so that's kind of the other half of what we do at Ascent Fab is um, I will actually go out and train the prosthetist, orthotist how to use 3D printers effectively in their clinic. Um, you know, we'll be on site for two days. We bring materials and the software and some of the hardware in some cases and go from start to finish 3D scanning a patient to fitting a patient with a device. And if people are interested in learning that part, how do they get a hold of you? Is that through the website? Um, mostly through uh, word of mouth at this point, honestly. Uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of word of mouth going on in the field that, you know, people start to talk about, you know, well, who do I go to? Yeah. Um, for, for this advice. And my name's floating around there quite a bit amongst uh, maybe three or four others that have about the same amount of knowledge clinically and on the 3D printing side as I do. But, um, you know, on our website, our website's kind of evolving right now. We kind of started in the prosthetics and orthotics field. 
Um, but we're quickly also getting outside the field with a lot of different 3D printing projects we're doing. So, um, you know, there's a lot of information on there about those devices that we provide. Um, and then I talk a little bit about it in my podcast as well, the, the Fabrication Friday podcast every Friday. Yeah, that's every Friday. And I listened to a couple of the episodes already. Talk about that podcast because that's a great podcast. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. It's, um, you know, I, I love podcasts, you know, in general. So, um, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts before I try to decide about, you know, do I want to start one? Why would I start one? Um, I wanted to give people another route of listening to some, uh, different information around, again, what is possible in the 3d printing industry. Um, because I'm so now heavily involved in the 3d printing industry in general, um, you know, we have a lot of great tidbits on, you know, what printers should you be using? What materials should you be using? Um, no matter what you're actually printing. And then we talk about some, um, you know, very in-depth like tech tips of how to get a good print. Um, you know, we do some be best practice, um, you know, little blurbs in there as well. And then I interview um, a lot of the more general 3D printing industry folk um, I, I began with a lot of people who are already involved with the prosthetics and robotics industry, but it's, you know, definitely uh, getting past that too. And that was your schooling, if I'm not mistaken. And then you found your story about how you started the 3D printing, I think it's, it's a fantastic story. We talked yeah. about it earlier. Do you mind talking about that again? Absolutely. So yeah, I was a senior in my undergrad at Siena College here in upstate New York um, as a physics major of all things. And um my uh, my thesis capstone there senior year was to try to come up with, you know, my own project for something that I was passionate about. Um, and with the background in astrophysics that we were given, um, I didn't quite know, you know, what I wanted to do with that. Didn't really feel like I wanted to do anything specifically in astrophysics. So my mentor kind of said, well, hey, you know, there's this machine down in the basement that uh, no one no one knows how to use. It's called a 3D printer. You know, we just we've had it for six months now and it's just collecting dust. So why don't you go down there and try to understand, you know, how to use it and use it for something useful? So I had never heard of a 3D printer before. This is 2015. Um, you know, desktop 3D printers were just coming out and being more commercially available. Um, so this was an Ultimaker. Um, 3D printer, you know, about the size of um, maybe cubed about your computer laptop okay. size. Um, so, you know, maybe twice the size of a shoebox. Uh, so we're printing fairly small things in it. Um, and like my tinkering mind was back then, uh, you know, I if I didn't know how something worked, I took it apart and tried to put it back <laughs> together again if I saw there was an issue. So because I didn't understand the slicer settings back then, um, or really understand, you know, extruding plastic in general. Um, I did a lot of YouTube searching, um, tried to reach out to like anyone on the internet who was doing any 3D printing at that time. And that's when I found Enable, uh, this kind of global group of volunteers um, that were printing out these hero themed prosthetic hands for kids. Mm -hmm. Um, that most of them were congenital. They had had this uh, since birth. And, you know, I thought that was a awesome way to try to blend, you know, my interest for prosthetics that had been lingering with this new technology of 3D printing, which I just found fascinating. So 
went through a project there where I got very, very heavily involved with uh, Enable, actually started um, their college chapter um, aspect of the group. So I managed like five or six different college chapters around the country, um, including the one that that I was at at Siena. And um, really, we were just trying to understand best about how do we provide these devices? Because you know, with the the global do-gooders, as I call them, you know, they're they're engineers, they're tinkerers, they have a 3D printer, and they see, well, well, why can't I just provide this to a kid? Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of clinical input at that time, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So with my interest on the clinical side of things, you know, I wanted to be able to provide the best device that someone was going to actually use. Um, so we got very heavily involved in finding, you know, the, the, the clinic aspect of what is prosthetics and orthotics. Um, so I started shadowing around a few clinics. Um, I found a local clinic that um, actually was looking for a prosthetic technician. So I became a prosthetic technician for a year and a half, um, found that there was this master's degree you could go get for prosthetics and orthotics. Um, so I applied to uh, Northwestern University, and um, yeah, at that time my uh, my grades from undergrad weren't very good, so I had to kind of prove myself to get into uh, Northwestern. So fair enough, you know, my my mentor from undergrad um, took me into Merrimack College um, in Massachusetts and said, you know, there's this brand new master's degree program we're starting. Um, you can come with me and do a fellowship and do more 3D printing and prosthetic stuff. Um, and it was in exercise and sports science. So oh. it was kind of getting me a little bit more oriented toward the, the medical field in general. Um, and being the, the running buff that I am, you know, it was kind of right up my alley for what I wanted to, to do and be interested in. So I went and did that for a year and then ended up coming full circle. Uh, finally got to Northwestern, went through the um, just under two years or just over two years uh, degree there through um, prosthetics and orthotics. You're on site in at Northwestern for um, just over a year, but they actually have a um, online portion before you go for about three months. Um, might've been more than that, maybe five months. And then afterward, it was about three months of more online work. So kind of this really neat, um, you know, remote and hybrid concept, um, which allowed me to kept, keep working as a prosthetic technician uh, as I was getting into Northwestern. Um, so then uh, came came time for me to graduate 2019, um, headed down to Savannah, Georgia. Uh, never been in Georgia, but uh, heard of these really cool people from amputee blade runners. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure if you've heard of ABR, but uh, Ryan Fan, one of the uh, co-founders, um, there, there's going to be a theme here. So Ryan is actually a former Paralympian um, and a, a very active runner himself um, with a what's called a Boyd amputation. So directly through the ankle joint, um, a very uh, intricate uh, procedure there. But um you know, I looked up, uh, you know, Ryan's athletic career and seeing him as a clinician and just, he was the person that I really wanted to learn under. So, um, yeah, down there, uh, through amputee associates, um, I was working as a resident and, um, kind of had a different, uh, residency case than some people might have, but, 
that residency was actually bought out by another group, uh, Hanger Clinic, while I was there. Oh, okay. um, so I was with Ryan for about six months, transitioned to Hanger for the rest of my residency, um, a little over eight months, and then um, came full circle back up to upstate New York here, where I was a prosthetic and orthotic technician for my orthotics residency, and then becoming a certified prosthetist. Um, and then worked in the field uh, with them for about another year and a half before I started Ascent Fabrication. It, it, what amazes me about your story is how much you have seen since 2015, especially. I mean, that was in the early stages, I think, as you kind of alluded to, of 3D printing. And then right. being able to see the whole, gosh, the history is kind of laid out in front of you. And as yeah. I think about the E-Nable, is that how it's said? Yeah. And what yeah. they were doing, I have a question about that. And it, there's... What, basically, was it a functional prosthetic for the hand or was it just aesthetics, which is fine either way? Yeah. I was just curious. Yeah, yeah. So they had a, a partially functional hand where it worked off of the wrist tenodesis. So yeah. just by, you know, moving your, your wrist back. Like this? Forth, yep. The fingers yep. close. Okay. Um, so as you, um, you know, went into its extension with your wrist, the fingers opened, went into flexion with your wrist, the fingers closed. Okay. Because uh, there was a... a you know, forearm portion with some strings going attached to the other fingers. Um, and just with kind of a simple Velcro, a Velcro closure mm -hmm. um, over, you know, a partial hand, um, these kids were able to just be able to bend their wrist and then function the hand. If they were missing a little bit more of their arm, if they were mm -hmm. more of a transradial um, or even transhumeral in some cases, I think they use the actuation of your wrist um, elbow flexion okay. instead. Um, so same kind of function, same idea. They were, I would say, a lot more of courage boosters than they were actual functional prosthetic devices. Sure. Um, we delivered two of them to, to two different kids, actually, um, personally, one in Ohio and one in St. Louis, Missouri. Um you know, one was um, Superman themed. Or, <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I think it was Superman or, or Iron Man, one of the two. Yeah. And the other one was Batman themed. So, you know, we got some really cool courage booster aspects out of it because, you know, the the kid was around his friends and, you know, they thought it was the coolest thing ever, you yeah. know, this bionic aspect. And I think they did a really nice job of, of doing that side of things, you know, giving the kids a reason to use a prosthesis at that age. Um, but functionality wasn't quite there. Well, I could speak from personal experience. I don't remember this part of my life. I'm congenital, by the way. I used yeah. to wear a mitt, basically. It was just a, like a, it looked like an oven mitt as a hand on this side when I was probably before I was one, years old, one year old. And that was really just basically, to, to your point, kind of get used to having something over there. And I, it was also very soft, so I was able to kind of teeth on it too. I, if I could find yeah. a picture of it, I'll included it on the podcast yeah, i think i've seen one before too yeah this is i think now would be considered vintage because of my oh, age <laughs> what are you gonna do it is what it is but yeah. looking at that whole history when i think about what you've gone through even the 3d printers i would imagine themselves have just who knows how quadrupled in, in capabilities over that time leaps and bounds. yeah leaps and bounds you know there's it's it's not just the printers but the materials as well oh okay. and just just the general knowledge of so you so you have this cad design of this part right but then you have to go through what's called a slicing process in order to for the fdm printers that i use here 
So you're, you're prepping that part to print. So that includes the orientation, which way are you going to orient the part on the bed? Um, and then the software will physically slice uh, your object into layers. Well, you know, depending on the material, you might have to be faster or slower in some, in some layers, some spots, um, different temperatures, different cooling. And so I think that's the most of what I've learned about over the last eight years has been how to slice apart reliably where I can look at it effectively and know almost right before I print it, whether or not it's going to print well or not. Um, you know, I've had probably a couple hundred prints now that have not gone so well, um, that end up as, you know, this ball of, uh, twisted plastic, you know, a rat's nest or a bird's nest or something. And, um, you know, those are the frustrating moments, but, you know, everyone would be joking if they said they didn't have these type of, you know, failures, obviously we learned from our, our failures and mistakes. Um, you know, I think that's what has progressed so much in the field of, of 3d printing is yeah having better hardware um having more knowledge over the software the softwares are becoming more intuitive to use and a little bit more hand holding for those people that haven't had that experience yet and you were talking about the actual material too it yeah i've seen some videos where there's like a flexible material that you can create that you can 3d print which is amazing oh, to yeah. me wow that's yeah, gotta be yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was just thinking when I think about like my socket, my prosthetic, it would seem like that would be such a benefit to be able to to have something like that. Oh, Absolutely. So oh, I do have a bunch of stuff to share. Oh, uh, thank you. If you'd like to see some things oh, here. On, yes. For those on the video. So we do have one of our flexible inner sockets. Um, and, and some of what is interesting about 3D printing is that you know, we're able to do things with 3D printing that you can't fabricate traditionally, or it's extremely hard to do that. So this flexible inner socket um, is a um, basically a polyurethane um, rubber type material that comes in several different colors. So we do flexible inner sockets with that. Um, we Look have our, our protective covers that would be um, actually a mirror image of their contralateral limb. Um, so we'd take a 3D scan wow. of their existing limb, whether it's upper extremity or lower extremity, and then uh, a scan of their prosthesis. And we have this inner part here that would actually interface with the prosthesis and a posterior slit. So there's a easy on, easy off Look at that. magnetic closure system. Uh, that directly integrates within this other uh, inside piece, which can also open up and move over the prosthesis. So, you know, with these different flexible uh, materials, we can do a lot of fun things. Well, that, thank you for showing that. And for everyone that's watching the video, like you were saying, I actually took my eyes off the camera and started looking at what you had built. That's amazing. And to think that you incorporated the magnets in it to try to get those together. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, what kind of experimentation was that? that that's That's brilliant. Yeah, you know, we so uh, people think about 3D printing as a prototyping process, which it is. It's a very great prototyping process because the amount of material that this costs is about six to eight dollars worth of material. Um, so you can prototype things relatively quickly within a 24 hour period um, and for low cost. So that's kind of what 3D printing has been really set up well for. Um, but yeah, trying to get a design like this that actually opens and closes, 
and you hear that kind of snap. Yes. Uh, you know, there were a lot of hours put into um, trying to see how we could actually print those magnet holders. Yes. Um, because if you see, there's actually a ledge here. So you're printing over air and you effectively can't print over air because of gravity. Um, so we have to print support material up to that, that point. So there's some post-processing of us cutting some of this stuff out um, and getting it to this final part. Um, but like you see here, it's just, uh, it's a lot about the design aspects of like how we're going about solving a problem here. Um, you know, one of our other uh, very intricate uh, devices here, it's a polypropylene outer, outer frame, outer test, um, you know, outer socket. And um, then an inside, another flexible material that is a little bit different. Um, it's actually a foam material that um, is a little hard for me to take out right now because we also have this kind of keyed in in the back. Um, but what you can, can't really see on the inside is that over this bony anatomy, there's actually cushion in here. So you can, in between the walls, you can feel this cushion wow. that will give with a person's bony anatomy to reduce that amount of pressure that someone's feeling over that bony anatomy. Mm -hmm. So that's our, our um, kind of flagship, I would say, device, the, the Foam wow. Flex Air flexible inner socket um, has just had amazing results for people uh, over the last year and a half. What well, I think about my old prosthetic over there and then looking at what I'm seeing here and just thinking about how comfortable it would have been to put my arm in something like that. And I would even imagine lower extremity because of the weight bearing would be even more beneficial. Is that true? Yeah, that's the feedback we've been getting. Yeah. yeah wow. So from the, uh, the few clinicians uh, that we have had working with us uh, with these sockets, maybe upwards of 12 or 15 different clinicians now with just as many or more patients, um, you know, they're saying that they're seeing less instances of skin abrasions over the bony anatomy, which is awesome to see, you know, you don't want to have that, that skin friction causing, you know, blisters and ulcers and worse. Um, and then just because of the, the nature of it being a foam, um, it's incredibly lightweight. So people are, you know, really, uh, enjoying that it's a little bit lighter weight, that nice soft cushion feature. Um, so it's been working out really well. Yeah, that's excellent. I mean, I, I had never seen anything like that. And that's what I like about the podcast being able to learn from people like you and, and see what's really out there now, because it's been a long time since I wore prosthetics. So that, that yeah. is what it is, but it's really neat to see that. So when, when I, when I talk to you and everything you've seen, what are some of the success stories that like people have, it's changed their lives being able to get in these 3d printed prosthetics and, and get around better than they ever have. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, we kind of touched on it earlier uh, just before the podcast, but a lot of this comes from someone actually taking ownership over their device and, and making it their own. So, you know, at, at the very least, a prosthetic cover could have some type of imprint uh, design on it. We just did a, um, a set of bilateral below the knee covers for a veteran who uh, was awarded a Purple Heart. So I, I actually etched into this, embossed his Purple Heart oh. into, the, into the cover. Um, you know, there was another instance where this foam flex air socket, um, the patient was able to actually run comfortably on that socket for the first time 
in, I think you said 20 or 30 years, wow. him being a user for longer than that. Um, so to hear that kind of feedback that people are able to do things that they weren't able to do, or they're putting their own personal touch into it. I mean, that's, that's why we're in this. That's we, we want to make, you know, this technology useful for people and, you know, just make that kind of care better for people overall. Yeah. It's, it's such a neat thing to see. And I just can tell you that you're helping quite a bit of people. So what's next for you and your organization as you look Uh forward? Yeah, so I think, you know, we're we're definitely getting in, into a lot more of the 3D printing industry in general. Um, so we had a, a fun project last week where I wanted to design a floating shelf to go up on the wall. And, um, you know, it was a pretty simple design that we printed out in 10 hours. Um, and now that's going to end up being a product um, that we are building an actual marketplace for. It's kind of a, a, a sneak preview of what's, <laughs> but um, you know, we're, we're getting into printing different everyday products. I printed myself a garbage can the other day because I needed a garbage can, um, you know, so useful things that people can use in their everyday life. Um, Ascent Fab is moving into, you know, that end of things for the consumer level. Um, we also sell 3D printers and material though. So along with our training programs, um, we will actually um, sell some of these 3D printers. Um, we are the uh, North American distributor for a new conveyor belt 3D printer, wow. which is pretty interesting. So really getting into like the production level status of 3D printing, um, being able to, to print consistently over and over and over again for a couple days in a row um you know really is getting into this next level of you know how we're using the fdm 3d printing uh that we are and there's a lot of different forms of 3d printing too so we can also help people with some of the more industrial forms of 3d printing um hp multi-jet fusion and selective laser sintering sls which are um, more so powder bed fusion um, ways of 3D printing. So there's a layer of powder that's put down and then a laser goes over and cures that layer and then more powder and laser and powder and laser. Um, and so those are creating extremely robust parts um, that are being utilized in you know so many different industries right now. Um, people are getting into metal 3D printing. Um, we're getting into some carbon fiber and fiberglass 3D printing with a prosthetic foot and knee design that we have a patent for, um, oh, for this great. specific type of printing. Wow. So, you know, we're really trying to push the boundaries of what can and should be 3D printed. Um, but I'm really too also passionate about just teaching people about, you know, how to use this in the best way possible. So, you know, this, uh, this training aspect of what we're getting into is really growing. Um, I'm going to be in three different states, four different states in the next five weeks. Um, you know, going out to Buffalo, going out to Massachusetts, going down to South Carolina, um, and then I'll be in um, Indianapolis for the AOPA conference. Yep. Uh, so, you know, we're getting around, and um, you know, again, just trying to help uh, people adopt this technology in the best way possible. Well, let me know when you're in Arizona. We can meet up. I almost had a had a training uh, for a guy in Phoenix, so got to catch up with him. But uh, he was definitely interested. So yeah, if I get out there, I'll I'll certainly let you know. Yeah, definitely do that, and I'll show you like the archaic uh, prosthetics that I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's quite all right. Um, so, yeah, could you 
tell me a little bit about, you know, your experience with uh, prosthetic devices as well. And, you know, kind of how you came into the, uh, the podcast aspect of things. Yeah. I, thank you. And I appreciate this. And it, this is the fun part of uh, doing this podcast. As you know, you have your own podcast. So every right. once in a while, when you're, when Over you're the, the now. <laughs> yeah, when you're the guest, things change and it's like, Ooh, okay. Now I got to speak because I have the liberty of being able to ask questions and kind of sit back and you did such a great job before, but I was born like this. Uh, I was born with, without a right hand. And my parents were always the type of people that wanted me to have the, whatever kind of experience that I needed to have to be successful in my life. And, and certainly with my brother and sister too, it wasn't just about me. So they made sure that they learned as much as they could at the time. They didn't even know they're going to have a one-handed boy because there was no ultrasounds or anything like that. I don't even think they knew they're having a boy, you know, let, let's face it. Yeah. So it was kind of quite a surprise, but they did everything they could to learn. I went to uh, an organization back in New Jersey where I'm from. It's called the Kessler Institute. And I believe they're still there. And uh, I was very fortunate to be in some of their early pamphlets and showing me uh, using my hook and wearing my hook because I wore a hook until I was 12 years old, uh, until I was in eighth grade. And towards the end, and, and you know, this is kind of all a blur now because it's quite a while ago for me, but I would say between like sixth and eighth grade when I, when I quit wearing one, I would kind of go you know, a couple days on, a couple days off. The reasoning, I, I really don't know, because I really feel like if I fix that hook right now, I'd be just as good as I was all those years sure. ago. Once I broke it, though, and I remember my parents going, hey, and, here, and I'll, I'll tell the story that I haven't never yeah. shared about how Absolutely. it broke. Yeah. I, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to do this. How it broke. I used to go up to my friends and they would hold my hook like, you know, with both hands and I'd be able to always open it, you know, cause this is the, the muscle here is, especially with young people's hands, they weren't quite as strong. Right. right. Well, as people started to get a little older, like I said, about eighth grade, maybe it was ninth, but I'm pretty sure it was eighth grade. Their strength to be able to keep that close met my strength to be able to open it. And the cable just snapped. Okay. So okay. that's how I stopped wearing the hook. So to get yeah. back, my parents asked me, would you like to get another hook? And I just kind of go, no, I'm good. You know, this is the way I'm, yeah. that was the decision. I, 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 I wouldn't say that there was a lot of reflection, but I think at that point in my life, I would just happen to be getting along a little bit more without one, whether it be basketball. Right. I love basketball. I, I was, I think I said I was on the pro bowlers tour. I never, yeah. old with a hook on I never drove with a hook on and okay. that's not to say at all that I'm against prosthetics I'm a hundred percent for them I really yeah. am I think they're so necessary uh, I just for me personally I don't happen to wear right. one now but sure. so that's my story thank you for asking yeah no I, I I'd love to hear it and um you know it's interesting that you you mentioned that back then when you were using it, you know, you maybe were using it for some specific reasons, right? It wasn't just you were using it all day, every day. Like, did you only use it when you went to school and then maybe you came home and stopped using it or kind of what was that like? Boy, I'd actually like to, unfortunately, my parents aren't here any longer. They're no longer with us. I'd ask my sister that question because it really didn't, whatever I was doing at the time was yeah. normal to me. So it wasn't right. something that was burned into my memory where I go, well, this is right. the reason why I'm doing it. I don't remember. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure I did take it off when I got home, yeah. but I, I, I'm trying to think of what I used it for back then. I mean, I, yeah. I, I could write with it. I can, I could do okay. kind of drink with it. I, I could do yeah. eat with it. I, I was able to do everything pretty much. I, yeah. I was very fortunate. When, before I was three years old, I was in the North 
daily news, they had something, some article on kids okay. with prosthetics. And, I, and there's a picture of me with my hook on because I was able to control it before I was three years old. Okay. Yeah, I know that's, that's really neat. I think there's, again, there's been a, a little bit of development on the pediatric side for 3D printing, um, you know, but not focused on as much, I think, because people are still kind of, you know, figuring out how to use it for adults now as well. But, um, you know, we are, we are starting to get more into, you know, how can we integrate prostheses at a younger age where it's not only functional, but it's also cosmetic. And, you know, because in the upper extremity prosthetics side of things, that's definitely the biggest driving factor of, of, you know, someone actually utilizing it for a long period of time. If they're born, um, if they're born like that, then typically they won't use a prosthesis for much, um, you know, but it's these other people who become an amputee, uh, especially upper extremity that they're looking to replace something that was lost. So, um, you know, we see that uh, difference in the prosthetics field across the board. You know, your your story is very, very similar to what I've heard at being a clinician in the field now for a few years. So, yeah, like I'd like to say that I'm not surprised that you're, you're not using one right now. But, uh, you know, I guess there's always the opportunity if it presents itself and something was in, of interest to you. Absolutely. And one of the things that I've done just personally, I do like to work out. Uh, I don't run as much as you, but I do like to work out quite a bit. And I made myself a prosthetic out of PVC so I can do curls. And it basically, I put PVC together with a U-bolt, able to put yeah. my dumbbell on there and I can do curls, like I said, do presses there you go. quite quite a yeah. bit. One of the things I'll say though, that as I've gotten older is the wear and tear on my left side is definitely something that I've seen yeah. because and, and I'll, I'll say this, I, I do quite a bit with my right side. You'd be surprised. I mean, I'll, I'll carry everything. Like sure. when I get groceries, I'll have all the, all the <laughs> grocery bags right here. I won't carry it yeah. with my hand. That's, uh, yeah. they're all yeah. be right there. And then same thing, it's just like the perfect clothes hanger. <laughs> because yeah. I, I just okay. put everything there right there. So I do yeah. quite a bit with my left hand, but yeah. I think it's just a more tedious things like Sure. Uh, keyboard as an example and I'm a web designer sure. from is what my background is so okay. I definitely nice. have some elbow problems I've had shoulder surgery yeah. I was a pro bowler so sometimes my wrist hurts so, you yeah. Know, yeah. a little bit of wear and tear nice well that's pretty cool to see that you've been you know that uh, athletically active too in pro bowling I think bowling is pretty fun on its own yeah uh, what uh, what inspired you to start this podcast as well well, it really comes back from, I had a 30-year career in corporate America that I, I really enjoyed. But in 2016, I found out I had cancer, I had throat cancer. And it was at that time that it just made me look at my life and just think, I, I guess we you get a little older and, and you go through something like that. And I was just kind of questioning what my legacy was. I don't want to get too deep or you know try to sure. get too melodramatic, but that's yeah. really what it was. And yeah. I realized that there was a whole community out there that I really hadn't participated in. And I get it because now as I do this podcast and, and talk to other people at events and things like that, one of the things I've learned about amputees is we, there is the feeling of alone because when we go out, I have Cardinal season tickets. You can see I'm a Cardinal fan, yeah, Arizona, Arizona Cardinal. And right. you know, I, I'll go to the a Cardinal game and I'll be the only one like me there. That's fine. There's nothing wrong yeah. with any of that. I actually like it. I'm kind of a ham. But yeah. it, it as after the cancer and I decided I wanted to do a little bit more, I, I decided I'd like to try to learn a little bit more about the community. And if I was going to learn about it, I'd like to share what I learned. And I thought the Right. A podcast would be the perfect way. And then there's also two other things that, because I think if you go through cancer, 
you need to have, and it may be anything in life, you just need sure. to have those goals in front of you. And I had yeah. two goals in front of me that I wanted to fulfill if I made it to the other side. And again, not try to sound melodramatic. Two things I wanted to do. One, I wanted to try stand-up comedy. And I'm very happy to say that I not only tried it, I'm performing quite a bit on um, nice. the go. Southwest uh, portion of the United States. And then yeah. number two, I wanted to go back on the Pro Bowler store and hit one more stop. And I have not done that. And I still want to do that. Now, the thing about the bowling was I'm very prideful and I used to love to practice. And one of the things I can tell you right now is I don't like, I don't like the practice. You know, so, yeah. I, it, it, so I don't know whether I'll ever be able to do that because I will, I never want to go out there and, and embarrass myself. And to not do that, you got to put the time in. And I'm not sure I want to put the sure. time in. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I kind of feel the same way. So with, with running, actually, um, I'm, I'm really feeling getting older, although I'm not that old, only 30, but, uh, <laughs> you know, my, my knees are starting to feel a little older and sure. after running for 362 days a year for eight years, um, you know, my, my body is pretty shot. <laughs> so, wow. you know, I've, I've run two marathons, um, nice. within the couple of years and that's been kind of my goal. Um, you know, for this kind of grit and determination that I have. Um, and I love running longer distances. I like to hike a lot as well. Um, I'm just an outdoors kind of person. Um, but the longer the distance, the better for me. So, you know, I kind of feel that way right now with, uh, with the marathon. It's a love-hate relationship because the last, the last one that I did, I didn't quite finish it. I was two miles from the finish and I just about collapsed. Um, so I've got kind of a, a beef with the marathon right now that I need to kind of get back in shape and, and finish yes. that. Um, you know, so I feel that, but I've recently, um, come into my own with, uh, with, um, with road cycling. So, um, I've got, uh, just, a you know, secondhand bike that, uh, my wife got for me, um, from one of her friends that I've been able to get out of the bike a few times a week now and feel great and get to go these long distances again. Um, you know, and it's really opened my eyes to another new sport. Um, my wife is a former, um, pre Olympic rower and, uh, the rowing industry is pretty interesting to me too, because all three of my siblings have, have rowed or they are rowing at the collegiate level level. Wow. So I'm now a, uh, a volunteer for the learn to row program, uh, through Saratoga rowing association here in, in upstate New York. Um, so every, in the summer here, every Tuesday, Thursday, I'll go out, uh, after work and, and go out there with some of the, the new rowers learning how to row. Uh, and it's a pretty fun, uh, pretty fun sport to be into. Wow. That, that's fantastic. I, I, I would need one of your prosthetics. You'd have to build me something for, to do the rowing. But you would say something. Sure. I got to ask this question. You said you were, you yeah. ran 362 days a year. My mind, first of all, very impressive. My mind goes, what three days did he take off? Oh like man, birthday, like birthday, Christmas, and New Year's or something? Or basically not New Year's. There was a New Year's 5K, of course. Um, <laughs> like I mentioned, you know, my my high school team was nationally ranked. The, our girls team was actually better than the guys team ranking wise, just because of the level of competition we were at. Um, but our guys team went to states and regionals and nationals a few times. Um, so we we were serious about the running, you know, in the summertime, we would run a hundred miles a week. Um, yeah. And this wow. is as a, high, as a high school athlete. So, you know, we got pushed probably a little harder than we should have. And <laughs> I, I burnt out a little earlier than I probably should have. Yeah. 
Um, you know, but I ran a 430 mile. I had under a 1530 5K. Um, and I finished my first marathon in, what was it, three hours and eight minutes. Um, so, you know, pretty, pretty well, um, you know, versed in the, on the kind of higher end, I would say when you're a runner, it's like the middle of the pack when you want to talk about the elites, um, you know, but it was a lot of fun, got to go to a lot of cool places, but definitely needed to scale back after college to, um, and I only ran one year in college, actually, um, ran one year at Siena college. They're a D one program. Um, albeit when I was there a a program in need of some improvement um ran one year just wasn't quite the same from high school so i decided to just kind of do my own thing um and then get it in, got into the longer distance running after that that's that's one of the talents i've never possessed being able to run long distances so i really <laughs> admire that i there's no way i could do that that's awesome yeah, yeah my favorite was the mile uh, the mile and the half mile just because they were just a little bit longer than the sprinters could run. So <laughs> I was, I was at an advantage there. Um, but yeah, that, that was the, the middle distance program, you know, was the 800 and the, and the 1600. And uh, yeah, I, I broke two minutes in the, in the half mile one time ran a 159. <laughs> and uh, you know, so I was, I was cruising at that, at that level. But then when I got <laughs> college kind of just fell apart so you know longer distances it was for me well I don't know but it, it fell apart I mean your life's changed and your perspective and your direction changed and oh, yeah. I think there's a lot of people that benefited from that because of all the 3, 3d printing all the teaching and, and, and everything you're doing with your business so yeah. I think your direction is even better <laughs> oh yeah just kind of refocused in a different direction right excellent well fabrication Fridays you said you wanted to use yeah. some of this or all of this on there. So I thank you so much for allowing me to be on your podcast. Yeah, and I well, certainly want to thank, thank you for you. being on this podcast. I learned a lot today. Thank you yeah. so much for being on the word. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very happy we're able to connect and, and do this. You know, I'd love, like I said, to share this on Fabrication Friday, um, where we're in the, you know, 3D printing industry, you know, right up there with, uh, you know, everything that's happening new and uh, exciting. And it's just a fun time. So I appreciate you uh, allowing me to share this too. That was the We're Not Stump podcast hosted by Mike Bowler. If you want to be a guest on the program, reach out to Mike at his email address, mike at mikebolin.com. This podcast is produced by One Hand Man Productions. If you are looking to start your podcast, go to onehandmanproductions.com. Well, that was a really fun podcast with uh, Mr. Mike Boland, the We're Not Stumped Amputee podcast. Um, always fun to meet other people within the amputee community and hear about their experiences uh, because everyone's a little bit different, whether you're an upper extremity amputee, lower extremity amputee. Um, there are a lot of other people out there who are very willing to share their experiences and, um, you know, help gain some insight as to how best to help other people um, in those same similar situations. So, uh, getting into our uh, final tech tip of the week. Our tech tip of the week this week is looking at changing out a nozzle. 
So when you change out nozzles on any, uh, practically any, you know, commercial desktop uh, 3D printer, one thing we really want to make sure of is that the nozzle is actually um, fully seated with up within the um, heater block, because if it's not fully seated up in the heater block and um, due to the cooling and heating of that block, um, you might end up with just a slightly loose nozzle and then you have 3D printing filament going everywhere during your print. It's going to ooze out uh, through the threads and you could just have a big mess and end up maybe with a failed print or um, you know, then you actually have to swap out that componentry, um, which albeit isn't that hard to do and not terribly costly, but just kind of a pain. So when you are swapping out your nozzle, uh, make sure to have the appropriately sized um, hex wrench for the nozzle itself. You know, most of these nozzles, unless they're hardened steel, um, are brass. So they're fairly soft uh, material and you can strip that, uh, that hex, um, you know, wrench design on, on the nozzle itself um, pretty easily. So using channel locks or other pliers, you know, you're really going to end up stripping that pretty easily. So use the right tool for the job. Um, you know, hold on to the heater block as you're taking the nozzle out, uh, the old nozzle out. And you might ask, when do I need to change out a nozzle? Well, if you have a lot of buildup of plastic material around your nozzle, um, or you've been printing with that same nozzle day in and day out for uh, about three months. I would change it out about every three months um, if I'm printing daily continuously on it and printing different materials. Um, you know, that would be about the time to change your nozzle uh, simply because as you continue to use that nozzle over time, again, with it being brass and being heated up and cooled, um, there will be some slight, um, you know, kind of expansion of the uh, hole on the inside of the nozzle just due to the friction of that material going in and out, um, changing materials, especially with different abrasive materials, carbon fiber, it's always one that people go to. Um, you kind of want to then upgrade to maybe a hardened steel nozzle if you're going to be using that material consistently. Um, or you just maybe specifically use um, a hardened steel nozzle for your carbon fiber prints uh, anyways. So um, when, when changing out that nozzle, make sure you heat up and take out the filament first. Heat up the nozzle uh, to about 200, 220 degrees, uh, perfectly fine. You know, make sure you get your material out at whatever temperature it's supposed to be at first. Um, and if you can't quite get that nozzle out, Heat it up a little bit more, another 20 degrees uh, will just help kind of loosen up those threads. Um, your new nozzle should be put in while the heater block is still hot. Um, and you want to uh, just kind of thread up through uh, the nozzle, you know, with your fingers first is perfectly fine, except it's going to get a little hot. So watch that and don't get burned. Um, you know, or you could always use some protective gloves, um, you know, if you're looking to try to do that with your fingers. Uh, otherwise, use a pair of pliers to quickly, you know, just end up, um, you know, screwing that up in. Wait for that nozzle to actually get a little bit hotter. Um, maybe wait two, three minutes for that nozzle to get up to its true temperature there. Um, once you actually get that threading to a kind of hand tight, 
then I would go about at least another quarter to a half a turn, uh, making sure that it's very tight in there while the nozzle is actually fully heated so that it can fully seat up into that heater block. One other thing to look for while you're uh, thinking about changing your nozzles is to notice how the plastic is actually coming through the nozzle itself. Um, so if the plastic is when you are putting the plastic into your, your hot end, um, if you have a nice straight line of filament coming out the other end, out through the nozzle, then you have a fairly clean nozzle. Um, you know, there could end up being some nozzle clogs where some material is actually deposited within the nozzle just very slightly, and that is staying inside the nozzle um, when you're in between prints and swapping out materials. And when you put in a new material, if you notice that the line is a lot more squiggly coming out or if it kind of shoots out the side of the nozzle, um, that's an indication that there could be a little bit of a clog in that nozzle itself. And then you'd really want to um, change out your nozzle at that time. So that's our tech tip of the week this week, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to the Fabrication Friday podcast. Make sure your nozzles are tight and uh, have a great week and we'll see you next week. Thanks. Thank you.